There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to a bonus episode of Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. On our last episode, we shared how Kate Bush's 1985 song Running Up That Hill has found itself at the center of culture due to a placement in the Netflix 80s horror sci-fi TV show Stranger Things. For that piece, I spoke with the composers of the show who shared great insights on how they created a now iconic theme song and spooky soundscape to the biggest streaming show of the year. I want to share with you all that whole conversation because they had some very cheeky and valuable musical offerings to share. I'll allow the guys to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Kyle Dixon. Hi, I'm Michael Stein. Um, We're members of the band Survive. And together we score Stranger Things. To kick things off, how did the Stranger Things gig come about for you all? We just, um, we found the Duffer Brothers Instagram accounts and then we just sent them very, very long uh, DMs um, (laughs) persistently for, I don't know, probably a good 18 months. And then um, they finally listened to the SoundCloud link that we sent them and uh, the rest is history. So your advice is to harass directors as much as possible, and eventually that's just how it works. Is anyone involved with the show, really? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if they have anything to do with uh, what you're looking to do. If they, if you're trying to do makeup, then, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> Michael, you want to you try again? <laughs> it was kind of the other way around without the harassment. Kind of. It was the exact opposite of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they, they found our, our email on Bandcamp through it for our band, which I guess they'd heard some songs in the movie The Guest, which we had two songs that were on the soundtrack. That was the the seed of them reaching out. Okay, so you didn't slide into their DMs, but they did email you. I want to get into the music itself. Let's start with the theme. It's very simple, and yet it's become completely iconic. Could you describe to me why you feel the theme of the show is so effective? I think there's two reasons, and I think they're pretty simple. Uh, I think at the time, theme songs were kind of not really happening so much. It was more about having like a kind of a pop song as the the intro music versus a specific theme for the, th- I, I mean, I, I'm probably wrong in that, but that's just the way I feel about it. I feel like a lot of the things that I was seeing around that time, that's what was kind of in fashion. And then I think the show just got very popular. How about musically? What musically makes the theme work? Musically? Oh, it's because there's like all these hidden notes that we snuck in there, you know, <laughs> like it's really, really complicated advanced musical theory, microtonal stuff, you know, all, all kinds of Fancy tricks. I will say there's all, if it was just the arpeggio that people know it for. I don't think it would be as popularized, whereas the original has 
like 80 layers of tracks and things happening and a lot of motion to it. Like it keeps moving without sounding like it's looping or getting repetitive. Like something's always happening next. It's also in a major scale, but I don't know what key it really is. It's, it's a kind minor. of minor. It's a minor. I'm pretty sure. A minor. Or C major, whichever you want to choose. I don't exactly know why. I don't know I, why. I mean, it's because we're but. good. <laughs> we made a good thing. We used cool sounds. And we didn't do anything cheesy. And it fits the show well. I mean, I wish I could take the beginning part of that off, but oh well. I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. I know your joke is being sarcastic in some degree. Uh, no, I just, I just think it didn't do any... We didn't do anything like overly kitschy with it. I think that maybe other people might have been more inclined to just like really be like over the top with the 80s thing. And we tried to keep it classy, you know, like to make it sound nice. Something that we would want to listen to, you know? Yeah. I think musically it represents a lot of elements of the show where it's it's kind of dark. It's kind of ominous. Yet it's still neutral and still gets you excited enough without really leaning to any real direction, still it's kind of sci-fi, it's mysterious. It's got a lot of these elements in it without being like too far one thing. Could you speak about how you went about scoring a contemporary take on an '80s horror show? What influences did you look to? How did you prepare? And what kind of soundscape were you looking to make? The goal was to put the music that we already been making into a TV show. And as far as the influences, I mean, they were really into Tangerine Dream. And John Carpenter. Angelus. Classic stuff. And so they had some of that stuff tempt in, in there. And that's, that's easy and fun for us to do, those types of things. Like maybe not the Vangelist stuff so much because it's pretty great. Uh, not that not that Tangerine Dream and John Carpenter aren't also great, but it's a little bit easier to. How would I say? What's the what's the way to say? Pay this homage up? to. Pay pay homage <laughs> to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would say that the records we were making, the the band and Survive, which we'd presented, our music. Uh, that was our outlet. We definitely had influences that come from a lot of the same places like Tangerine Dream, like John Carpenter, YMO, pretty wide gamut of influences. But a lot of those influences are actually like from the 70s or even modern like stuff that we listen to a lot in high school till now, which would be like Warp Records, like Aphex Twin. Just a lot more contemporary stuff makes its way in because yeah. our band was never meant to be a retro revivalist type thing. Um, it was just kind of a culmination of our influences and the whole like retro synth synth wave this thing that's developed now didn't really exist we were just kind of doing what we liked the duffers wanted us to kind of do that and i would say there was some amount of adapting to create the sound of stranger things but we've always had a little more of a take your influences and have a more contemporary approach to just not having these like boundaries to be some kind of retro revival yeah. concept. So we're not going into it with that. We're just like, let's make some music. We want it to sound fresh. We don't want to make something that's already been made. So it's not that difficult to end up with a, I'm not going to call it a product or content, whatever, with music that somehow sounds individualistic. There are the boundaries, of course, that the show is a 
set in a certain time. Yes. And so the the tools that you're using seem to be influenced by that moment in history. But a lot of it's a lot less silly, though, than the 80s tone of synth music. Like, meow, like Sure, we use a lot of the same instruments that were being used in the late 70s, 80s, right? But to Michael's point, we're scoring a, a period piece, right? But we're scoring it now. So there's 30 years of cinema, 40 years of cinema that have happened, and you can't just go back and forget about all that. If you're trying to scare people... You're not going to be able to do it in the same way as you were in like 1978. The 90s happened. Like everything got so much louder. Grunge, metal, like things got a lot more aggressive. Hair metal sounds silly now. And it used to be like this like crazy thing, you know. But once the 90s happened, that all kind of felt a little silly because everything got pushed further and further. So I guess I think the same thing happened in cinema is what I'm saying or film, TV, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that absolutely affected the, the way that we have to record music to, to help tell these stories. Could you give some examples or an, you know, a film that you think about that from the, from its era in the eighties, maybe today sounds cheesy. Oh, like any of the Giallo stuff, like Suspiria. Well, I love the music, but it's like. Spooky disco. It's not cheesy. It's just. Oh, it's cheesy. If it's you cheesy. did it now, it would feel cheesy. Like, I think it's cheesy. You know, funky bass lines and like really resonant chord stabs and synth sounds are like, pew, woo, woo. Like, we're just, that's way too forward and that wouldn't sound scary now. How about an example from one of your cues where maybe it's a jump scare or something particularly intense from Stranger Things that listeners might hear as sounding vintage or 80s, but it's actually very contemporary given the language of film scoring that has influenced you in those 40 years? I think that we use a lot of sound design that where the electronics might sound human, might sound like voices. Filtering and combining those with like water phones and various acoustic instruments that are used in horror to create layers so you don't really recognize what the sound is, but sometimes if it has a real ambient space, it can sound a little scarier and also like we'll use some more or less like sound design and industrial-esque rhythms and sound design that is kind of harsh and unnerving. There is plenty of 80s sounding stuff in the show, though. We definitely do some very on-purpose 80s sounding cues. I mean, any, almost any time anyone's getting killed, like, it's pretty wild stuff. Like, yeah. especially the third season, we got, like, when some of those fights, like, there's a cabin fight scene. like some pretty wild atonal yeah. stuff and like blown out like 909 drums which is like typically like a techno thing yeah it might be closer to like Mersbau or marsona than it is like some other genre it's like noise music sometimes which is which i personally find is <laughs> an, an achievement i'm very happy that we've been able to bring noise music to the mainstream whether whether or not anyone knows 
that that's happening, it it makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's dynamic and shape and how you play the scene, you know? So if you just like pull back to the string and engage the listener and then wham, hit them with some really <laughs> abrasive sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything that sounds like a drum machine or like a kick and snare. A kick and yeah. snare, which we don't really get to do that much. Not that we're like eager to do it. It just doesn't make sense. There's only a few times when you really can like do a kick and a snare, but we'll use we'll use like Lindrum and that kind of stuff, you know, but process yeah. it, make it sound like survive. So it still is a vintage drum machine, you know. The show takes place over a number of years. It goes from 1983 to 1986. I'm curious, are there ways that you've thought about evolving your sounds to fit in the place of the show so that now we're in season four in 1986? Are there things that you all prepared differently to fit that time period? I don't think we've directly like mirrored it and looked for avenues to take, but the narrative of the episodes themselves have informed the decisions we make a lot like season three is like the hollywood summer blockbuster it's very fun it's very colorful you know so we might have pushed more towards some songs that feel more mid-80s and just a little more excited but then this season is like quite a bit colder and darker and it has these a lot more horror elements and the fact it's a little more stark we did use a a few more like wavetable and digital based synths, wave stations and and things processed that did really good bells and like colder like chime tones and things that felt not specifically because they were later 80s era but just because they fit the aesthetic I think the color of the season I think pretty much the, all of the elements have been there from the beginning it's just certain seasons certain things kind of take the forefront a little bit more. Like we've always used a lot of choirs or vocal synth sounds. They're very prominent in this season because it's, there's this kind of like spooky gothic kind of feel. So there's, there's more choir in that respect. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. 
The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. I felt like this season, especially, the conversation between the scoring cues and the soundtrack seemed to be very present. I think particularly with the running up the hill, which we hear a dozen times, it seems, throughout the show. The scoring just sort of weaves seamlessly throughout it. I'm curious about how you approach scoring in conversation with the Kate Bush, given the importance of diegetic music in this in this season. I think we always try to be cautious of what music is coming or the, the score is going into or coming out of. But you can't really be 100% certain what's going to be in the show until the very end. <laughs> so while we kind of know the dynamic or the feel of that the piece of music, the sync, you know, that they're going to license is going to f- have, uh, you can't always like match the key. Sometimes it's very for certain, the Kate Bush ones for sure. If we wanted to like make a really smooth transition, we would sometimes write a little extra so that the music editors had more to kind of interweave. That one must have been known. It was literally in the script. That one was not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. There was no chance that that was going to be anything else. Is there anything about that song with Running Up the Hill? I mean, given its its success and connection to the show, do you hear any sort of simpatico between how you score and what Kate Bush was doing? Uh, we've definitely, in, in some of our band's work, have directly referenced I feel like very obviously Kate Bush. Yeah, I would say so too. Do you have an example? There's, it's the end of AHB, right? There's sometimes like little melodies that we'll play. There's like these just little (laughs) melodies that we use and it's like, we always refer to them as like, that's the, you know, and then the Kate Bush part comes in. You know? Yeah. It just reminds us a little bit of Kate Bush. I think uh, Black Molly's had some of that in there. Yeah, it did. Little, like, playful melodies that will be on top of this kind of dark song. And we'll be like, ah, oh, that ends with the little Kate Bush type Feels thing. Nice, yeah. Also, the, like, pitchy brass, the, like, always kind of remaking that sound. If we can, on, if like, we can sneak that in anything, <laughs> we will. It's a great sound. Good melody. That's a good, that's a really good song. <laughs> and I'm glad it's number one. <laughs> yeah. Can you think of any interesting or funny ways that the song Running Up That Hill ties in with the Stranger Things theme? Funniest thing about the theme to me is Every time we've tried to put that as like a thematic element into the show, it does, we're like, eh, I don't know about this. It's kind of shown up in a few instances, but for the most part, we never really just have that arpeggio rock in or something in, under a scene. It says too much in the show if it comes out of nowhere. It's not the theme. It's in there sometimes. It, there's like a hint towards it here and there for sure. But I mean, you can find that in 
any score. You remember that silly waltz thing? Where <laughs> I made like a really silly version of it once. Because there was a lot of comedy in the last, not this season, but the one before. So it was always like, how are we going to write this comedy music? So I remember trying to make a comedy version of the theme. I do not remember <laughs> that, but that sounds pretty funny. It was fun. It was like, it was like probably the Prophet Six, but like with using the swing uh, <laughs> amounts, like some kind of swing. So I was doing some kind of like waltz. It was really funny. Ah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm like hearing that. a Stranger Things remix here. I feel like you got a Billboard number one hit. You just gotta get Kate Bush's vocal on it. More possible now than ever, maybe. Yeah, more possible now. I need to get Kate Bush's phone number. Her phone number. All right, gentlemen, I'll look forward to it. Until then, thanks for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. All right. Awesome. Yeah, nice to meet you. If you missed the full episode of Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts and our website, switch.pop.com. Check out more of Kyle and Michael's work and their band, Survive. Also look out for the Stranger Things Season 4 original soundtrack, which will be available everywhere very soon. See you next Tuesday. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.